this is usually the point where I say that there's new merch, uh, but there is no new merch because I had an idea, but I didn't feel mm-hmm. right doing it without first asking permission of you and uh, a listener of the show. Uh, so I okay. I was thinking about turning, you know, ripped and shirtless Bill. I was thinking of turning that into a shirt, uh, but I need to know if you're comfortable with that. And I need to know if the listener is comfortable with us using his artwork. What are your thoughts? O- only only if the the bird gets on it as well, the, the, the bird that I'm carrying. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. We come as a team. You come as a team. You're inseparable. It's like, uh, uh, it's your daemon. It's like the golden compass. Yeah. Mm. Um. If the listener, I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot your name. It's been a whole month since we recorded. Um. But if if you listener uh, are okay with putting ripped and shirtless your artwork, ripped and shirtless Bill on a t-shirt, uh, we might show you a uh, a t-shirt like for free, just as a thank you because it's it's hilarious. Um. So let us know, um, email Reddit, that sort of thing, and uh, it should be there in the new year. Uh. What about? Ripped and shirtless Edgar. That seems really narcissistic. <laughs> like you know, people, more narcissistic for you, you know, than it is for me. There's this manager in in football called Brendan Rodgers, right? Okay. Uh, and Brendan Rodgers, he's a really good manager, but lots of people don't really like him because he's very, very, very into himself. And I think he did some sort of, do- or there was a documentary made about him, and like. The, the, the film crew went about his house and he has loads of pictures of himself like on his walls, like paintings of him. And it, it seems really weird for a person to either create or order uh, like a, an image of themselves for public consumption. That seems weird to me. Whereas I have no problem, you know, making stuff with you on it for public consumption because that's different. I don't know. I think it has, it has to be an all or nothing thing, man. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we can let, we'll let the uh, we'll let the uh, creator of the artwork decide. Do you want only ripped actually we can let all of Reddit decide. Do you want only ripped and shirtless Bill or do you want uh, also want ripped and shirtless uh, Edgar? I I'll, I'll do uh, I'll do what the public says. <laughs> this will definitely definitely go my way. Um so, some ki- some kind of formal Twitter poll perhaps. Some kind of Twitter poll, yeah, or just blasts in the subreddit, or we'll, we'll, yeah, Twitter poll is probably the best way to do it. Um, yeah, it'll be fun for all the people who don't listen to the podcast to be like, "The hell is this poll? What is occurring here?" <laughs> uh, in uh, in unrelated news and last thing uh, on the pre-show, I want to bring up, which is not in the show notes, but I just remembered it. Uh, I learned how to roll my oars, Bill. You learned how to roll your oars. I learned how to roll my oars. Yeah, I can now say Roma. Roma, correctly. Uh, I hope that's correct. Then was Roma, uh, which is class. I, I watched. I got really frustrated not being able to roll oars, and I took a, mm-hmm. a, like a two or three days. It was like I'm just going to watch a heap of tutorials and just like sit there and go <laughs> over and over again, and it worked. And now I feel nice now I feel really great. But it wasn't worth the effort to learn how to do it. Now I have this neat little party trick that nearly everyone can do. So yeah. Excellent. Phonemic inventory plus one. Phonemic inventory plus one. Uh, now to just get the voices trilled down so I can um, say all those cool Icelandic words that end in a rolled voiceless or, um, which I can't, mm. I can't do that yet. Uh, I'd like to do that because they, they sound like straight out of Skyrim. It's really cool. Um, and even, like you said, 
a minute ago, I hope I'm doing that correctly. Mm. Even if you're not doing it correctly, just say it's a valid allophonic variation in your conlang. Exactly. <laughs> the uvular trill, an allophonic variation of the roll door. <laughs> yeah, I, totally legit. Yeah, yeah, no, no, 100%, 100%. I, I do still want to get, I want, another thing I want to be able to get is I want to be able to like sustain it indefinitely, which I can't do. But uh, I, I've listened to like uh, speakers of languages, native speakers of languages that have the alveolar trill, and they can just like go like for ages. Um, whereas I can't do that, and I want to. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. So that's a thing I mm. want to. I want to learn. Anywho, pre-show. That's my pre-show stuff. Shall we do some follow-up? So in the 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 teaser or the the preview for the last uh, episode and um, when i posted it on reddit uh user alarbus commented uh is the state of mesa commented on the the map of the state of mesa is this not just ersatz arizona um so i think we can reveal that it's in fact ersatz new mexico mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but essentially you're right <laughs> Uh, so that was the first thing. And I got, I think, three uh, character ideas from people in the Reddit. Yeah, the Reddit, um, was, the Reddit was a light with people suggesting stuff. I think the the state of Mesa really uh, took off, which I'm, which I'm really happy with, Bill. Um, the first uh, one here I have is Zen10. There's a, a frequent commenter mm-hmm. um, suggested a samurai character. Uh, and this, this fits in quite nicely um, in a historical context because... Um, the the Meiji Restoration was a civil war that took place in Japan in the late 60s so contemporary to and slightly after the American Civil War I think uh, and that resulted in the the shogunate losing its power so the the kind of samurai warrior class not being the, the ruling class anymore now I think in practice they weren't really uh samurai in kind of the, the battle sense anymore. They'd, be, they'd become sort of a political class. Um, but I'm sure there were still martial members. Um, so that there is a, you know, a good reason why you would have a character like that not in Japan. Mm-hmm. A, a historical background to hang to hang that upon. Um, or even, you know, it could be the descendant of a character who left if you wanted to have it slightly later. Uh, this account is valid. Uh, another uh, frequent commenter. Um, linked a short story called Mr. Hajj's, or Mr. Hajj's Sunset Ride, um, which I started reading, and then I got caught up in the middle of work and I haven't gone back to finish it yet. But the uh, the essence of it, from what I could tell, um, is a character of um, Arabic heritage uh, in the Wild West, so whose, whose father was from Arabia. Uh, and I think a, another character from Arabia and the two of them interacting um, in the Old West as gunslingers, which is exactly <laughs> what I was looking for. Is there any, in that case, uh, is there any historical um, movement or revolution or war or whatever that would might have driven uh, someone of Arabic descent to the States or just literally just like regular old uh, immigration? Um, I'm not I'm not aware of one. Okay. Um, I know at the time the... Like uh, the the whole area was was still part of the Ottoman Empire, and there were struggles for uh, independence from the Ottomans. And I think there may have been a couple of short lived uh, uh, Saudi kingdoms, hmm. like 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 literally the, the House of Saud. But they that might have been slightly later. I'm not exactly sure when when they were. Okay. Um, but I, I think they they had a couple of 
um, like areas they controlled before the the foundation of the current um, Saudi Arabia. So you know, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure there's something you could you could put, and even if there wasn't a specific like historical event like a war or something, um, there's always you know internal conflicts between people. Yeah, they 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 can serve just as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, thirdly, Captain Venoms came up with a, a good one: a gun-toting rabbi. <laughs> so this was partially based on a, or partially um, similar to a. The film called The Frisco Kid, which is a, a, a film starring Gene Wilder, who is a, a rabbi traveling from New York to San Francisco um, in the, you know, in the late 1800s and who gets caught up in Wild West stuff happening. He gets caught up with a cowboy and bank robbers and things. And I think I think that could be pretty interesting to, to have a, a religiously based character, um, but from a a religion that doesn't get a huge amount of uh, exposure in that genre or in that setting. You know, mostly yeah. you have Christians. For sure. Um, and, you know, indigenous American uh, religions. But, uh, yeah, this 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 character in this is a, a rabbi who, who's just finished his training in Poland and is on his way to, to San Francisco. So it's a, a culture thing and a different religion thing. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that could be pretty interesting. Um, I also, and I said this on, on the subreddit, I thought it would be cool to have a, a touch of um, magic involved. I had initially been thinking a, a very, very low or no magic setting, but by using magical systems based on the, the kind of uh, systems of belief that are unfamiliar to the setting, I think that could be quite interesting. So the, the two that occurred to me initially were uh, Kabbalah, which is sort of a form of mysticism or magic based on Jewish traditions, and uh, Sufism, which is a sort of mystical uh, tradition within Islam. They, I, don't know, I just think they could both be pretty cool to to explore in a in an old West setting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so that's that's the follow up for the state of Mesa from the last episode. Uh, speaking of uh, American states, uh, historical American states or historic America, rather. Um, I played Oregon mm-hmm. Trail for the first time, like, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. <laughs> um, and I knew of Oregon Trail as being like a cultural thing, as a, like, you know, the original game, like the game that everyone played before games were really a thing. Um, yeah. And I also knew of it as being a notoriously difficult game, an uncompromising yeah. game. And I played it, and it was grand. Like, I made it, I made it out west, first time, comfortably, um, one chap died in my wagon, but that was it. Uh, I made it with, with three other people. It was not a problem. And I was kind of like, is this one of those things that like back in the day was quite hard, but like under like modern, <laughs> modern gaming techniques, so to speak, it's, uh, it's quite easy. I don't know, but I did, I did enjoy it. Um, and I was kind of like, I wish that they made a, almost like updated it for like, uh, into like a modern AAA game because like uh, there was you know way um, you can talk to various people along the way and they tell you things. I do not. Well, okay, you can. So if you get to various like camps or whatever, you can talk to uh, people. There's usually the, there's the person that looks like a bartender woman. There's like the um, uh, the guy that looks like he's a Dutch uh, um, 
where that historical Dutch get up and then there's a Native American mm-hmm. and they all give you various bits of history about the Oregon Trail. It'd be class to see that like fully acted out and then animated with audio. Uh, that'd be really fun uh, to do. But anyway, just your, your thing mm-hmm. about like the state of base, it got me thinking about the Oregon Trail and I was like, oh, I played that and it was incredibly easy and it was as such, it was a bit of a, a bit of a letdown. I was expecting it to be total bloodbath. What, what, I, I should have thought of this in the last episode, but um, I forgot to bring it up. There is a game. I, I don't think it's fully developed yet. It's on. Um, it's on early access or something on Steam. Mm-hmm. Another Western game called This Is My Land. Um, but you play as a Native American, and you are kind of fighting settlers. Oh wow! Yeah, which is absolutely my jam. Like you know. <laughs> anti-colonial 100% what I'm into um, and it's 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 a big open world kind of stealth game as well so I, I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to, to trying that if I get a chance that must be one of the only games that does that I've never heard of a game where you you I've never heard of anything really where you play as uh, a Native American I'm sure there must be but nothing nothing immediately springs to mind yeah um, you uh, sorry. I realized we're on a, a bit of a tight schedule today, but just, just go with me for a second. Uh, you didn't happen to see CGP Gray's latest batch of videos by any chance? I did not. Okay, so he has. I'm going to link this in the show notes uh, for people to check out. He has a slight bit of like talking about people here, so just like warnings. Uh, he he's doing a thing on essentially. I think it all falls under like American Empire, like doing a series of videos. Yeah on what the American empire was. And as part of that, he's obviously going to talk about um, the effect colonialism had on uh, Native Americans. And as a sort of Mm -hmm. precursor to talking about that, he felt the need to put out a video saying that he is going to refer to Native Americans as Indians throughout the four, uh, throughout the preceding videos. Um, Mm -hmm. And he outlines the reasons why. And he said he talked to uh, various Native Americans about this and it's, it's kind of a complicated one and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so apparently, according to him and his research, Native American is actually not... Um, uh, many, many Native Americans don't like the term Native American and in fact prefer the term okay. Indian. And that kind of fried my brain. And listening to him, it seemed like the impression I got is that they prefer the term Indian out of a sort of like, almost like they were overcome with attrition, as in like, you guys called us this thing. We've we've accepted the thing. Stop trying to relabel us as other things. And it, it's this weird dynamic that I never um, okay. thought about before. I only ever thought about it. Native American sounds correct because, you know, they were the native people to the land that we now call America. But apparently it's yeah. way more complicated. And I think it's an interesting video. So I'm going to link it and you should go check sure. it out. And I'd love to know what you think about it after having watched it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, that's, so that's, that's Mesa. Shall we move on? Uh, let's. Okay, so I have three items of follow-up coming up here. Uh, so everyone brace yourself for Edgar. First item, we have a bit of fag corner to do. Um, and this we this month, oh God, I nearly said week. Uh, this month, <laughs> uh, the flag corner uh, submission comes from a chap called Jacob via email, and the flag they are submitting is a Roostock uh, County in Maine. So, do you want to open up there, Bill? Let's do it. Now, this one is interesting. 
Um, in the sense that it's one of those flags, okay. I think, that like it's 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 bad, but it's not terrible. It's one of those like stealth crap flags. Do you know what I mean? Links are in the show notes for those who can't watch it, uh, who can't uh, access visuals. Um, imagine the flag of Nigeria. So uh, three vertical stripes: green, white, green. Um, in the white stripe, the middle stripe. There is what is the shape of the county of Rustock. Um, very, very, very large in the middle there, taking up almost all of the horizontal width of that green stripe. And below it is the uh, is the year 1839, which is probably when it was founded, because such is the way that these flags go. And 1839 <laughs> is not centered. It's not it's not centered on any axis. It's like shove down into the bottom fifth and over to the left to kind of accommodate the shape of the county, which just looks like not great at all. And and the reason why I bring this up uh, is because it's one of those things where like, I don't understand people when it comes to making these flags because like you could make this flag be perfectly okay by removing the year and just shrinking the shape of the county. Like that would work. It's I'm not that isn't ideal uh, in my book, but that would be so much better. Like I, so many of these bad flags, they're just like they're like if you just took one element away and rejiggered slightly, it would be great. Um, so it's 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 it's, shit, but it's also frustratingly. Shit. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Um, yeah, give Nigeria a gun. Oh, it does a bit look a bit like a gun. Oh, do you know what it I thought? It looks like as well? a gun, doesn't it? It looks like a, like a little a little handgun, a little pistol. The uh, and as well as some of the non-linear parts of the the sort of shape of the the county uh, look like faces. So if you see on the top there, it looks like <laughs> a bloke's yeah. head, and then down at the bottom, it also looks like a bloke's head sticking out to the right there. Um, yeah, which is really weird. It's just, it's just so strange. Like, um, and the font of the eighteen thirty nine as well is just so ugly. It looks really uneven. The bars look uneven. Like, I, I'm not sure that it's definitely the case, but the le- the the middle one is by far the biggest, the the widest. The middle what? The, the no. white sector. The, oh. the white stripe, and the but the the one at the at the fly. Sorry, the one at the hoist looks thicker than the one at the fly. As well, oh. the green at the hoist looks thicker than the green at the fly. Oh yeah, oh yeah. See, I was going to say that like the middle, the middle white bar is obviously disproportionately big because they wanted to fit in the largest possible uh, county um, mm. shape in there. But like, there's no excuse for having you know bar one, the bar at the uh, hoist, be thinner than the bar at the fly. That's ridiculous, or thicker rather. Um, it's yeah, weird. It's not. It's it's not great. But again, it could be a great. It could be well, not a great flag. It could be a passable flag, but just perfectly serviceable. Perfectly serviceable. If people just didn't this incessant need, American uh, uh, flag makers, I guess, uh, vexillographers uh, have this incessant need. They have to put letters and numbers on things. Like just don't do it. It's fine. It's grand. <sighs> anyway, so that was the um, flag of Aroostock County, Maine. Thank you, Jacob. Jacob. Also writes, and I'll just call up this email. Um, now, it's a long email, so I'm not going to read it all out. Apologies, Jake. But essentially, the nuts and bolts of it is they uh, want to talk about um, their con and how mm-hmm. they feel that um, 
language as a reflection of uh, society and culture is really important to them, which I fully agree with. And they bring up the fact that their language uh, has two scripts. It has an abogida and a logographic script. And to paraphrase, one is used, uh, I think it's the abogida is used sort of in the lower classes, middle classes, that kind of thing. And the logographic script is used in the kind of upper classes. And there's a bit of tension, you know, people who use a logographic script think look down on those who use the, the abogida uh, and etc. Which I think is a really cool idea. And this occurs um, in real life, I believe. Uh, at least I remember my father talking about how in Saudi Arabia, there was different forms of speech for different uh, peoples and classes. I don't know the exact details, but it, it, I remember getting the impression that it wasn't just like Arabic. Like you don't just speak Arabic. There's like multiple things going on. And I think that's a cool thing to mm -hmm. incorporate in Conlang. The main point I wanted to bring up though was that uh, the Abagida being used by the common folk, he notes that poets and merchants uh, would be included in this common folk group. And this made me think a little bit of ancient Irish history. And I think it's a cool thing that maybe people mightn't be aware of and could incorporate into their uh, world building. In ancient Irish history, the poet was considered like a really important part of society, like right up there with, with kings. Well, not really the equivalent of a king, but like one rung down from the king. Um, almost like the way, say, a press secretary in the White House, for example, is part of like the inner circle of uh, staff or whatever. That sort of same thing happened in ancient Ireland. The poet was not a common folk person. The poet was a a a big member of society and played a very important role in kind of like um, uh, acting almost like a marketing sort of dude, like writing uh, poems and songs about how great the king is. And I think there's, uh, I could be wrong with this, but I think there was also elements of uh, kind of magic woven into it too, um, almost like shamanistic sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. so I suppose I bring this up just to say that like, um, nothing, not absolutely nothing wrong with which Jacob's work, but like, do consider that something that some people that we might think of as being common folk these days, uh, may not always have been so and, and don't necessarily have to be so. And it's worth thinking about how you might jigger that up and that might, uh, generate some ideas. Yeah. That makes sense? It does. Yeah. Well, about the, the poets things, about the bards, um, so they, they were, patronized by by kings or by by rulers uh, and so they had to promote the king that that was their patron but they also they had a responsibility to call him out when he did stuff wrong yes yes yeah yeah so there, there's kind of a there's there's a complex relationship there that they they have a, a loyalty to him but they also have a general loyalty to to being honest and to the people in general and to making to keeping the king in line that he has to act honorably and stuff so they're kind of like a they're kind of like a media if that's the, they're kind of like a well you know what a an ideal uh, media establishment would be like you know how journalists ought to behave. Sure, I think if we think of it as the press secretary analogy I made earlier, it'll be like the mm -hmm. equivalent of like uh, what's your one uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders being you know beholden to Trump, but also like being more than. Um, professionally capable of coming out and speaking out against him 
which is a bizarre dynamic if you think about that. Like, that's not a thing that we see yeah. in the modern world. That's a really cool sort of thing. And I guess, and it's also worth pointing out that, um, again, just to emphasize, like people may think that when they hear that bards were being patronized by um, kings, you might get a sort of uh, maybe almost a classical music sort of sense there where you have uh, musicians who are patronized by the aristocracy. And that... Uh, at least in the early days, they were still, those musicians were still considered very much servants um, mm-hmm. of the aristocracy, but the bards were not. Like, they weren't just, like, lowly people who were paid by the king. Like, they were, like, high society. Um, so almost yeah. like the likes of, say, like, Beethoven was, like, uh, people call him, like, the rock star uh, musician where he kind of like was like I'm no longer a servant I am an artiste sort of thing I am raising myself yeah. up here so these bards would have been the equivalent of like Beethoven as opposed to say Bach yeah um, so I just thought it was a cool little thing that uh, Jacob's email uh, made me think of and uh, that might be of use to some of you in your world building um, for sure so last thing I want to bring up is uh, we got another email from uh, a chap called Chaz who, uh, as a follow-up to the Denis, a numbering system we mentioned last time, he mentions uh, another numbering system from Heaven's Vault, which I don't know what that is. Um, but I'm going to link this uh, numbering system from uh, Heaven's Vault. Apparently, this game, uh, everyone should play if you're interested in Conlang, because the whole shtick of the game, according to Chaz, is that you have to, like, decipher the Conlang to, like, beat the game. Like, almost like you're cool. a, 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 a historical linguist or whatever, which sounds hella cool. Um, but anyway, the, uh, I'll link the glyphs in the show notes. Uh, it's a base 10 system. Uh, it's got a sub-base of five. The glyphs, as much I think is cool that, you know, Conlang is being represented in games in a very central manner, I don't like the glyphs again. Like, it's it's this case of um, they just look over, over complicated in a way, and I feel like people would, over time, reduce these down to more simple elements. They, look, they don't look very distinguishable uh, from a distance, which I think is um, not... Uh, great in the script but then every time i think this i always i every time i say this i always think back to chinese glyphs that which look horrifically complicated but they obviously work so you know mm-hmm. six of one half a dozen other what do you think of these bill they do look complicated to me some of them um but i mean th- there could be a lot of reasons that they would remain complicated depending on their use and stuff and th- the more i look at them like they're actually not all that bad. Now they make yeah they make a nice set. Uh, I should uh, I should point out here, sorry for everyone and Bill that uh, it's only the second row that are the numbers. Oh, okay, sorry, right? Yes, I see. And, now. and if you hover over them, you'll see what numbers they represent. See, my massive issue here is if you take the glyph for four uh, and the glyph for nine, they are identical. Like at a distance, they are utterly identical. Um. The yeah. only distinguishing feature is a tiny, tiny horizontal line that can so easily be obscured by, uh, like, stroke thickness. Um, that, that I think, uh, if you were to actually give this to people and write with it, they would quickly find some sort of alternative way of writing it. Is my opinion. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, when we write English in the Roman script capital I and lowercase l and the numeral one 
can all be represented with just a straight line. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm not saying you should ever no. create a system devoid of things like that. But like uh, this entire thing, like like again, the number six can easily be obscured with the number one, the number seven with the number two, the number eight with the number three. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like almost like ambiguity is a feature of the system as opposed to just like an oddity. And I think that's not ideal. Mm. Um. And again, and even even in the Roman, uh, like our our um, our alphabet, there's there's still problems in that as well with like say dyslexics and things like that. Like um, B and D are hugely problematic for people. Uh, so yeah. it's not like we have the perfect system either. Like uh, I think if you actually think about a functional thing, you really want to minimize the sort of ambiguity. And again, I say this fully being aware of Chinese as being a thing uh, or Chinese lo- the low graphic system as being a thing and also being aware of like my aesthetics as a thing because a lot of things I propose on Artifexian uh, are like are nightmares for people who have dyslexia and you know that's uh, that's my bad there so it's very hard to cope with something that's like yeah. like completely clear but this I think is too far on the other end where it's completely unclear I think I'd probably need to see it more in context than than this here um, yeah, perhaps, yeah. But I I, I take your point. Um, and so, with that point, uh, that is my final point of, of follow-up. <laughs> uh, shall we uh, Shall we move into green room? Oh, not green room, sorry. Shall we move into the writer's room? <laughs> We're totally upending the form today. <laughs> yes, to the writer's room. Um, I've written something again. So back back to the... Per, the well, I was going to say back to the pen, but you also draw things with pen, so that's not really a good comparison to map making. Um, back to the typewriter, let's say. Back to the keyboard. Sure. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to launch straight into it. Cool. Go for it. Days of fruitless labour. Days I cannot count, measuring at least a handful. Days of fruitless labour without sleep. My pen scratching without cease. I know not when I last slept. The closing of my eyes brought only restless, relentless sensation. Dancing lights in place of rightful dark, frantic energy in place of rightful calm. And so I would contort and thrash in my cot, the release of sleep evading me ever beyond my grasp, until I rose once more to take a pen again and coax from it that which my mind can conceive of it in its entirety, but my faculty of letters has failed. This until last night, in desperation, I broke my own custom. I sent for a flask of spiced brandy and warmed it upon the brazier. To the coals I added a fistful of musk leaves. The sweet scented smoke and the warmth of the brandy together weighed down my limbs, covered my eyes and softened my thoughts, and slow to sleep at last I withdrew. But while my body rested, my mind did not. I felt myself lifted from my cot taken by some external force from my chamber, from these towers, from this very city. I took in all at once the entire sky, more vivid than through my lenses, sharper by far than any impression of mortal sight, and encompassing the breath of Ikern and the whole span of the night in a single glance. All that followed, I saw in a moment as brief as the space between drops of rain, that fleeting moment yet stretched to infinity within its span. I withdrew from this planet, and the forests and peaks of Ikern and its oceans and plains and deserts lay all at once beneath my gaze. I beheld the burning face of the sun and the spirits that dance in her valleys and rivers. 
the scorched wastes of Vasath, the scarred shell of the cradle, the desolate and haunted expanses of Nishtar, I beheld all these, and diverse and nameless rocks and moons, some unknown to mortal science. My mind was drawn by that terrible, irresistible force across Vasath. Here I saw figures, like humanity but not of humanity, plotting great evil in their mountain fastnesses. A sickly queen stood in a jeweled oasis, and her people know not the suffering that is to come. A mountain built neither by nature nor humanity stretched to the sky and teemed with life. I was drawn next to the cradle. I saw a vast continent, plains and mountains and jungles, all dominated by a great central plateau. Here a wicked king in the east warred upon the peoples of the continent. Legions of war beasts ponderously marched to battle, as his men flattened the land in broad avenues, snaking from horizon to horizon, having not the art of flight. Mysterious figures of great power, that yet seemed familiar, stalked the central plateau, and to the south a wise benevolent king ruled a broad peaceful land, though behind him stood a cabal of shadowy figures. In his audience chamber I watched as the king presided over a great celebration, when one of the dark figures attending his side looked directly upon me. I was filled with a sudden awareness that just as I could see, I too could be seen, and I was filled with a dread of these alien folk. The man of shadow fixed his gaze in my direction, and I began to feel myself pulled two ways. A strange gravity summoning me to this dread wizard conflicted with the irresistible force drawing me through the cosmos. In that moment, terror surpassed my senses. My next conscious thought found me in my cot, soaked with the sweat of my day's labours and my night's soporific travels. I took directly to my desk to pen this account, lest it fade from my memory. What mysteries and horrors inhabit these sister worlds of ours? What powers unknown might the humanity of other planets wield? It is not for us to know. Alega Carath, citizen of Mearsphere. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That was trippy as all hell. <laughs> cool. Good. All right. Uh, as per usual, give give us give give us some background here. Like, um, my overarching thing here is why a fever dream. I was trying to think of how how I like to. My you know my my usual method is to tell something about the world, um, it kind of indirectly. So through through the, the the people themselves, you know, with, within the setting, the way they describe something reveals more than just what they're describing. It reveals like the whole context that they view it in, right? Mm, yes. My main my main kind of idea here um, is in Ikern and in the the Abesque culture, the the Spires culture, they don't really have a concept of roads. Sure, because they're they're people of the sky. Yeah, because they, cause flight is um, very, very easy to them. Like, they have roads within cities and, like, small distances, like, say, like, from a farm to a village, perhaps. Um, but the idea of, like, roads to get across a landscape is just not a thing they have. And um, that's in that kind of uh, paragraph about the cradle, 
the the flattening the land in broad avenues, snaking from horizon to horizon. Mm-hmm. That's just a road, but but she finds it really weird to see yep. in, in this fever dream she has. Um, so uh, that was the genesis thing of that. There is like kind of someone imagining roads and finding it kind of strange and alien. Um, and it grew around that and from that and in both directions. I, I will say the uh, a lot of people over the years have always uh, been like, hey, you talk a lot about this space stuff. Um, but like I do fantasy world building or I'm writing a fantasy novel and none of this is in any way applicable to me. And I think what mm. you've done here is a great example of how one can uh, deal with cosmological elements um, mm-hmm. in a sort of like low techy quasi fantasy setting. Like the fever dream is a really good mechanism of doing that. And a, uh, what's the word you use? Di- diac- didactic? What's it called? Oh, the- diegetic. Diegetic. And it's diegetic. Uh, mm-hmm. Similarly, stuff like, you know, um, mystics and like shamans can, uh, can relay an awful lot of cosmology in a sort of low fantasy yeah. setting. So uh, that was the thing I just wanted to bring up on this. I think it's a wonderful way of bringing in, uh, yeah, more more science almost in a way. Yeah, bringing space into fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, Your first paragraph here, if I may, can I lodge you to my questions? Go for it. Uh, so the whole first paragraph here, uh, listeners, if you recall, it's the bit where Bill sets up the sort of, this person is restless. Uh, my only comment here is that, welcome to my life. <laughs> You're lying about, my mind uh, can conceive of it in its entirety, but my faculty of letters has failed. I cannot... I, that hit home so hard. Like, I'll, I'll lie in bed. <laughs> I'll be lying in bed, trashing around, like my mind racing, thinking about all these things. And I'm like, oh, I, I need to get up and write this down. And then if I ever do that, I can never, ever seem to write it down correctly. So that entire first paragraph hit out home to me. And I've also not been sleeping well of late. Uh, so that whole first paragraph was like, was very close to home, Bill. Thank you. Um, I... I- I really hate when people give unsolicited advice for stuff. But just as kind of a question, have you tried drinking a flask of spiced brandy and smoking some ungust leaves? <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about the ungust leaves in a second. But like, part of me was kind of like, I, I, I'm not going to do this because I realize it's a, it's a slippery slope. But part of me was like, I wonder, can I take sleeping pills to like help with the sleeping? But then it's like, mm-hmm. you don't want to become reliant on them. Um, yeah, you know, so it's it, it it is a tricky one, and I I totally sympathise with with this person who feels the need to uh, to resort to alcohol and must leaves because you're kind of like not sleeping is rough, like it is rough. Um, but anyway, on the must leaves, um, the talking about them, I got the impression that these might be like uh, fantasy marijuana. Is that is that the case? Um, not exactly. Um, I mean, they have a, they do have a drug effect. They're used in, they're used in magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're, when they're taken in, in small doses, they, uh, just kind of make you, make you sleepy. Um, they have, they have a kind of a calming, soporific effect. Um, when taken in larger doses, they grant visions. Um, so the dose taken here was not sufficient to, to in, induce visions, or wasn't it was not intended to be sufficient to induce visions. It was just like a, a small amount to 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 help sleep. Oh, so that it sounds like um, ayahuasca. Is ayahuasca uh, is, is ayahuasca a leaf though? 
Um, I, I think it's usually drunk as a tea, but I don't know what the actual what thing that you harvest to make that is. If it's a root or a leaf or a fungus or what, I don't know. But these these nuts are definitely analogous to a real world drug. Like maybe psilocybin, because if you take if you take uh, only a small bit of psilocybin, it doesn't really do a whole shebang. And if you take right. what what is it called, the hero's dose or whatever, then it does. Then you have lift off apparently. So I don't know. Would, yeah. would that be kind of analogous? I mean, I don't have a specific thing in mind, but okay. definitely to the the general phenomenon of the use of entheogens or psych- psychedelics or whatever in uh, in magic or in experiences. Yeah, are these must leaves uh, legal? Um, yeah, there's there's no real concept of prohibition of a thing like that. Oh, in in hmm. in this this culture. Have you got any uh, any historical information on prohibition here? And it just occurs to me: when did we start banning things? Because surely there was a point in human history where we all just like drank and ate whatever the hell, and then at some point someone came along and was like, "We can't do that anymore." Um, I, I mean, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty modern concept, is it? Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, see, I've no yeah. I've no notion of this whatsoever. I mean, like, I I think there was like not a great availability of say opium in the 1700 or in the 1600s anyway um but there wouldn't have been as far as i understand in in like most of western europe a law banning it it just it wouldn't have been kind of a concept required that required um legislation hmm yeah i suppose an opium was legal in the states for ages as well yeah yeah and what i find really nuts is that heroin apparently was legal in the states um, you could just get it in the pharmacy, which is just like, what? That's crazy. Yeah, un- until until the fifties, I think. What? Um, until the fifties, you could buy heroin in the pharmacy. I I think so. I mean, you could, you could get prescriptions for it. You couldn't just necessarily buy it over the counter. You probably could at an earlier time. But I mean, if 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 you want to read about this topic, um, Junkie by William Burroughs is an incredible book. Um. And that kind of that deals with the the change in the c- culture surrounding heroin in the fifties. Um, very 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 interesting novel. Hold on, William Burroughs is he? No, who's that journalist slash writer who just had all of the drug problems? Who was a mad joke altogether? Is that William S. Burroughs? Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. That's sorry, I was thinking of Hunter S. Thompson. My bad, my bad. Um, That's okay. Anyhow, yeah. So that was Nusk Leaves. What else have I got here? Um, oh, I, I, going further down in your piece, I adore your description of uh, the sun, in which you say, "I beheld the burning face of the sun and the spirits that dance in her valleys and rivers." That is class. And given what you just said Thank about you. like how a person might describe this, that's really cool. Like that is really, really cool, and it's a, it's a strong. Use of imagery, so well played, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, uh, yeah, Nishada, Nishada. Yes, uh, Nishada. Yeah, explain what what it, I don't think I've heard that before. What is it? What do I? Uh, what can you tell me? Um, so uh, Nishada is the next planet in the system after uh, Ikern. Oh, yes. And do we? Did you outline, way back in the day, did you outline what sort of genre would be going on on that planet? Yep. Oh, 
can you remind me? Because I'm definitely not going to look it up on the fly, man. <laughs> um, so uh, just just to kind of give a, a, a quick overview, um, I, I tried to build a system to be as, as densely populated as I could kind of get away with. Um, and Romance is the fifth planet. Ecairn. So there's a... Ecairn. Ecairn is the fifth planet out. There's a, a small one, kind of a, a Mercury-like planet very close to the sun. Then there's a sort of an iron planet is the next one. Then we have Vasath. Um, then we have uh, the the main planet, uh, Handwavia, which we have also learned uh, at least a Abeski name for today. And then we have this this one you're asking about, Neshta. And then we have Neshta. And uh, Neshta has a much, much higher... Um, sorry, not much, much higher but uh, it has higher gravity than any of the others. So whereas um, the the main planet has n- normal kind of Earth-equivalent gravity and Ikern has 60% of that, Neshta has um, 1.3 times. So it's, it's 30% heavier than Earth. So over twice as heavy um, than Ikern. Over mm-hmm. twice as heavy as Ikern. Uh, and you were saying at the start, though, that explicitly you wanted different genres to play out in these oh, different sorry. worlds. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't answer your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this, I, I thought that idea of like a kind of a, an oppressive gravity was pretty interesting. Um, and it's it's a, a, a kind of an existential horror kind of place. So the, the, the things that live there are um, outright hostile to other forms of life um, and sort of Lovecraftian in a sense. Okay. So uh, kind of approaching Lovecraftian horror. Okay, cool. Um, you mentioned uh, briefly there that we have a um, term for hand wavy I mentioned. What is that? Yeah. The cradle. That's the cradle. All right. So uh, when you're referring to the cradle, you're referring to hand wavy okay and so then do i yes. take it because these are named worlds from this person's perspective do i take it then that mm-hmm. this culture the spires culture only has uh knowledge or only has a lot of knowledge about these like three worlds their own world the cradle uh and neshta and Vasath. and Vasath. sorry yeah those those, those yeah. bundles like uh do they only have knowledge of those and then everything else is just unnamed rocks beyond that uh, no, they they would have names for all of the all of the planets that they can observe, and I I suspect they'd be able to observe like most of them. Okay. Certainly, that I mean, the next one out is a is a super Jupiter, um, oh, and then the should, one after that is yeah. kind of a Saturn kind of one. Um, so I'd imagine they'd be able to observe both of those, and uh, as as uh, as I wrote here, Alega has knowledge of astronomy. She says. Um, Something about the the lenses more vivid than through my lenses. So she she is she is used to observing the sky and mm-hmm. observing observing the cosmos. Um, but the reason that these ones are named is because those are the inhabited planets, or the the more relevantly to the history of of the setting, the inhabited planets. And also, her journey got interrupted. Oh, that yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, cool. Uh, going on to the Fasath bit uh, that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, do you want to talk to me about this uh, sickly queen uh, in a jeweled oasis and this mountain built neither by nature or humanity, or is that has to be le- left open to uh, our investigation? Uh, I haven't. I haven't uh, outlined the thing about the mountain yet. Although you, 
correctly identified it from something that I'd written before uh, off air. You said, oh, wait, is that what is this thing? This thing. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, Okay, I don't. Okay, will you will you tell me again off air? We'll let the people in the subreddit try and figure it out. Sure, because <laughs> I I don't remember it at all. Uh, what so? What about the sickly queen and in in her jeweled oasis? So uh, there was a one of the cities in. Uh, remember, I made the map of uh, of Vasath. The the polar map. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's a city in it called Ilki. Uh, yes, I do. I remember that. That was so long ago. I can't remember exactly how I pronounced it. Um, I'll tell you now, because I'm actually, I have it open on my Tumblr right now. It was March 2018, so nearly two years. Whoa. That's oh, wait, no, actually, it was a little before that. It was it was, it was a little before that, because the, the March 2018 was the origin myth. Um, so, yeah, um, there's the city Ilki, and that's the where, that's the jeweled oasis. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, do, do are we to read this as being, like, an accurate description of what's going on or are we to read this as like a fever dream like as in is there a sickly queen sitting in ilki or is this just the the writer's uh bizarre visions um so the the people of of ikaren don't have specific knowledge about other about other planets they they understand broadly that the other planets are inhabited and that they are broadly inhabited by humans. Mm-hmm. Like, that they are, broadly speaking, inhabited by people like themselves to to whatever degree. Um, so they... But they, they wouldn't be able to name anything about those places. They, they wouldn't be able to say, oh, well, the city of Ilki is in is on Vasath. Uh, so what, what Alega sees is a truth for sure. Or it is, it is certainly, she is, the things she is seeing in this, in this experience are certainly referring to real things. So then, how reliable it is, is not clear. Sure. But then the next question that it makes me want to ask is how is she doing this? Uh, I'm thinking then that the the musk leaves or the consumption of alcohol, or whatever, has some sort of like magical connection uh, to these worlds. Because otherwise, the only other way of reading it then is that she had a wild dream that coincidentally happened to be accurate to a to a degree. Do you know? Yeah. So the, either, she so am I correct in thinking then that like what she has taken or her sickness perhaps. Is is linking her magically to these other worlds? Um, you it wouldn't have to be that the leaves themselves have that uh, effect or have that power or ability, but they could induce a state in in oh. the person who takes them to be receptive to other influences. Oh, oh, that's a snaky way of putting it. Bit. I thought you were going to say that if it like it would put the mind into a state that uh almost like um what's called um emt is it emt uh dmt the drug no no that uh psychics do it the whole time what's it called where you kind of connect with other people's minds what what 
types of things. ESP? ESP, yeah. Uh, I, uh, so my, my what I thought you were going to say is that the, the leaves put the mind in a state that it, it can be opened up to this, like, this background ESP that exists in this world, that, like, all the peoples of these planets are are linked, but they ordinarily don't know it unless their mind can be induced into the correct state, which is obviously not what you're going for. But that was cool. Well, no, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a potential interpretation, that the state exists, and one way of accessing it may be through the, the consumption of ingusk leaves. Hmm. And next thing, you don't need to answer this at all, but the next thing I wonder is, we do know that people uh, travel between planets in this setting, right? Yeah. I wonder, and again, I actually don't, don't answer this at all because otherwise it'll spoil the fun. I wonder whether there's any connection between what's going on cognitively here and actual physical movement. Um, I'm thinking, I'm getting like flashes of Star Trek Discovery where, you know, like the whole mycenial network thing. Um, right. It's like you're you're riding along the, the almost like the the neurons of the brain that is the universe. I wonder if a similar thing is going on. Um, <laughs> that that would be cool. That's like actually that's in general. I think that's a cool idea. You could take that, listeners. You can have it for free. It's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's no, that's class. That's that's really cool. Um, you're writing, not my idea. Sorry. Um, mm. And the last thing I've written here is well actually i didn't really make any notes about the cradle but do you want to talk a little bit about the cradle at all is there anything in there we should know about uh yeah you know about all of this we know about all of it. grand okay and yeah. so, so now, the, the, all, everything everything in the cradle you have come across before okay cool um i i did i did clock the wicked king and i was kind of like that sounds a bit like hand wave here and then, so yeah, obviously it is. Um, Precisely. Last, last thing I've noted then is, uh, I just want to give you props again for the line. I was filled with a sudden awareness that just as I could see, I too could be seen. And I was filled mm-hmm. with the dread of these alien folk. That's like very Lovecraftian. Like that's... Oh, really... I used I was filled twice in the same sentence. Damn, I'm going to have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> But either way, that's really Lovecraftian. And it's really evocative of kind of like, like I genuinely, when you read that to me, was, you know, picturing myself as this person and then like suddenly becoming aware of like this ominous, dark, horrific figure, like looking through me. And it was, it's very, very evocative. I think it's quality writing, sir. Thank you. And that is all I have to say. Uh, as per usual, any final thoughts or anything that, that, I missed that you think is uh, particularly interesting. Um, did the roads thing was that apparent before I explained it? Um, yeah, yeah. I I, I initially took it as um, sort of if you imagine an army on the move, mm-hmm. they can look like they are uh, broad avenues snaking through the landscape. You know, almost like a train of yeah. ants. So I thought mm-hmm. at first it was like just a poetic description of massive armies on the move. But then, you know, obviously after like literally two seconds of thinking, about it, I was like, oh no, it's roads. So I think that's, that's, that's cool. clear. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of the, all of the hand wavy stuff has the, the stuff that I covered in, um, uh, in Lamo, uh, mm-hmm. like two years ago when I was writing about in Lamo, um, Sorry, no, Lamo was the name of the of the country. Um 
Uh, like this isn't included in the thing, but you know the way I um one of the roles within uh, uh, a Besky uh, vessel is the weird. Yes. Yes. Uh, Alega used to be a weird. Oh, she's everyone's weird in this world. <laughs> she she's a retired weird. Okay. All right. Cool. Or like not like, not like retired, but just like no longer uh, no longer serving. Like has finished her commission or whatever. Okay, and and she's a new character, isn't she? Yes, she hasn't been encountered before. Cool. As cool. far as I know. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. She. She struck me as being new. <clears throat> cool, man. Uh. Yeah. Props. I think that's. Uh, I say this every time, but like, I. I. I really enjoyed that one. I think it was one of your. Um. One of your certainly one of your best like narratively. Um. Oh, cool. Thank yeah. You. Like sometimes your your I think your work is really good in terms of just like the world building of it. Uh. But this had a very kind of nice flow to it, and it told a really cool trippy story with a nice like you know hor- horrifying ending to it. And yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was great. Really good. All right. So uh, on that, uh, will we do a bit of uh, Edgar building? Let's do a bit of Edgar building. All right. Have you watched my How to build video? your own Edgar. <laughs> build your own Edgar. <laughs> uh, the ha- build an Edgar workshop. <laughs> have, have you watched uh, my latest video? I have. Excellent. Okay. So for, for those... Uh, who haven't watched this video, it's going to be linked to the show notes. It is Inventing a Number System Part 2 featuring uh, Mitch from the Conan Critic, in which we follow up from the last time where we built a sort of very simple um, number system. Uh, and in this video, we, we follow up with like how you could go about thinking about the more trippy things you can do with numbers. Um, uh, before I launch into the things I want to address, is there, do you have any things that you need cleared up or questions or anything like that. Um, oh, I hear a piece of paper. I've starting. already, I've, I've already lost my understanding of how nullery works. <laughs> I kind of understood it at, at the, a certain point in the video when it was being explained. And now I can't remember anymore because it was really weird. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll talk about, I'll definitely talk about nullery because there was, uh, there was, there is confusion about what nullery is. Um, outside of nullery, have you got anything? Um, I have um, I have comments ab- about the various things, but nothing I think need need clearing up. We can we can go through it chronologically. Okay, yeah, go for it. For for the thing about the the non positional and or the the mixed radix notations. Mm-hmm. Um, my my first thought when that was brought up, I was like, oh, well, I can think of a really clear, obvious example of that already. It's time, and then at the exact moment, the video said, like in a digital clock. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if that makes me feel foolish or makes me feel smart. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I think if anything, um, it makes it makes Mitch feel smart that he had his finger on the pulse there when he wrote that bit. So that's good. For sure. Um, and this, the same thing happened when you were talking about uh, using different bases for different kinds of counting. I was like, oh, you know, if you have a language that has multiple or, you know, a variety of noun classes then you could use. And then he explained the exact same thing. <laughs> Excellent. That actually makes me so happy, Bill. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about long versus short scale, Edgar? How do I feel? Yeah. D- man, to be honest with you, I think it's uh, it's all kind of arbitrary and just whatever. Like, just pick a convention and we're good to go. I suppose if I were to, like, nail my colors to a mast... I, I think I might I think I might say neither and I'd rather just a system that has the same factor of increase starting from one 
Right. Do you know? So like as in yeah. one gets a word, ten gets a word, a hundred gets a word, a thousand gets a word, all the way up instead of just starting this sequence at a million. Uh, but other than that, I have, I have no strong feelings. It's I, I find it confusing because like, you know, I speak a bit of German and obviously I speak English and sometimes I have to do the mental arithmetic of like, wait, what is a billion? Uh, and that's really mm. annoying to have to do. But outside of that, I have no strong feelings. Do you have any strong feelings about this? Kind of. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know, the, the long scale just seems wrong to me because I'm an English speaker as as, as my, my first language. Um, but it is a little bit more kind of consistent in a way than the than the short scale. Because so wh- why is it more consistent? So a million, right, mm-hmm. is ten to the six. Yes, and then a billion in that is ten to the twelve. So it's twice of of what a billion is, or it's it's you're you're doubling the the power if you get me. So it's, uh, it's ten to the twelve rather than ten to the six. This is in so, the long scale. In the long scale, yeah. yeah. And then a trillion in that is uh, to another... It's not doubling, but it's tripling uh, the power for a million. So it's 10 to the 18, sure. right? Sure. Um, so that that is just a little bit more consistent that, that you can you can slot two and three and four corresponding to the, the prefixes of by and try and quad more sensibly into that system. Mm. Whereas in the short scale, 10 to the three is a thousand, right? Mm-hmm. 10 to the 6 is a million, and 10 to the 9 is a billion. So the formula for that is, the, you take the prefix, right? Mm-hmm. And the, say the number implied by the prefix is x, and it's 10 to 3x plus 3, which is a lot more convoluted in terms of like the, the correspondence between the, the words and the number. So your favoring of the short scale is just purely that you speak English and you're willing to forego any sort of mathematical beauty for that. Well, it's, yeah, the, the <laughs> linguistic mathematical interfaces is where, where the, the, the beauty ought to occur. Um, but yeah, no, it just, I don't know. It, it, it's always annoyed me that it's, it doesn't, it doesn't match up correctly. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's perfectly valid. Um, I think at the end of the day though, it is, it is one of those things where um, the, the speaker is never aware of the underlying maths until they look into it. So it is really an arbitrary choice of just, you know, pick a convention and go with it. Um, yeah. You know, but, uh, but yeah, cool. Uh, ne- the ne- next two things. Um, uh, so the bijective system, which is the one you described where 10 gets a unique symbol and then you, you begin using double digits, say, if we're using a kind of positional thing from 11 onwards or whatever, you know, the base plus one. Sure. Right, mm-hmm. um, and that yeah, that, that that's cool. That totally makes sense. Um, but Colin Critic said that you, there's a problem in that you don't have a zero. Mm-hmm. Well, like you could, you could just have a symbol for a zero that isn't used in another context, and it is like isn't required for the for the use of bases. Yeah, actually, that's that's interesting. I wonder. I don't know if such a system exists or if, if it has a name, but I wonder. It makes me think that maybe could. Could you perhaps have a a society that uses bijectivity, so has no concept of zero per se, and then Mm. they sort of begin to get a concept of zero and tack it into their bijective system, like what you're saying, and then after a while go, wait a minute, now that we have this zero, we can just do what we currently do, as in we, like us, uh, currently do. I wonder if it's uh, tacking a zero onto a bijective system could be an intermediary step 
that makes it seem like it's the way that's phrased makes it seem like the 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 system like the that we use as western european english speakers etc uh, in the modern world um is like some kind of goal that things naturally progress towards i don't think there's any need that it would have to go that way i mean i don't see why you couldn't just have a bijective system that has a specific symbol for zero because the, you don't you don't i don't think it's any better and there's any reason for our system to su- su- supplant a bijective system no no but i i would i would phrase it less as it's a goal and rather like uh, it can a language can evolve through our system like our, our system not being the end point but being a point on a line and yeah. I, I wonder if perhaps uh bijectivity uh can very naturally lead into bijectivity plus zero and that can very naturally lead into r1 without mm. claiming that r1 is like the ultimate end game of numbering systems yeah. you know um and because it make because it makes sense to me, man. Like if if a culture were to adopt the concept of zero, the leap to then kind of say, well, hang on, one x is the same as one zero. That seems like that's it's almost naturally falls out of that thought process of of obtaining a zero. I don't know. Really, I don't know. But it's an interesting one. Hmm. Um. What else you got for me? Um. Either examples of using uh, mixed radix on either side of a, the, I, I wrote down decimal point. Obviously, it wouldn't necessarily be a decimal point, but you know, of a dividing point between integers and not integers, less than integers. Yeah. So, like the uh, the radix point, it's it's called. I, I think the radix point. Okay. Um. Yeah. If you go to the Wikipedia page for mixed radix, you'll see that they'll the, the example they set up is using time. But it's using right. time with minutes being just left of the radix points. So seconds and nanoseconds, etc., are after the the radix points. So you can just uh, the impression I get. I could be entirely wrong. The impression I get is you can decide. You can basically decide where in such a system said radix point goes, and then you can just build around that. If that makes any sense at all. But in in that's in in what you're describing, what's the what's the radix on either side? Like, so on, I'm assuming if you're counting like the nanoseconds or whatever, that's going to be done in, in decimally. But so what's on, what's in the second side? Right. Because if again, you're just counting but you're taking, seconds then. Right. But you're taking everything with respect to seconds. Yeah. Or sorry, in the Wikipedia example, you're taking everything with respect to minutes. I believe that that's what it does. Oh, um, okay. so, so yeah. So by, so whatever occurs just left of the radix point is kind of what the, what the whole system is referencing. So whatever is just right. right of the reference point is with respect to whatever's just left of the radix point. Does, does that make sense? I'm not following your explanation, but I think I I think I can kind of see what you mean. Okay, well, I, I, this actually leads on to that was your final point, wasn't it? Um, no. Oh, okay, well, you go ahead, and then I just one more thing. Okay, right. Well, this kind of leads into the first point I was going to talk about, which would be my lack of understanding of mixed radix systems. And I want to apologize publicly <laughs> to Mitch uh, about this. So just a bit of a <laughs> bit of behind the scenes. And this is one of the reasons why I can't explain it very well. Uh, behind the scenes here for the script uh, is uh, Mitch had written uh, the bit about mixed radixes uh, or radices, mixed radices, whatever it is. And uh, I, he had an explanation in there 
uh, for how it works mm-hmm. and why it works, like the theory, the proof behind what what's going on. And I cut that because I kind of like very ignorantly uh, was like, well, I know what mixed radix is. This is where every position in a number system is just a different base. So it'd be like, imagine like, say the first uh, first slot of a positional system is like 10 to the zero. And the next slot is like four to the one. And the next slot is mm-hmm. like six to the two, whatever you want, just stick a different base in there. And I was operating under that assumption the entire time until literally the zero, the 11th hour. And uh, Mitch emailed me was like, yeah, it's a good video, man, but you're entirely confused about the way mixed radix work. And I kind of last minute read up on it. I was like, oh, crap, I don't understand mixed radix, mixed radix, mixed radices at all and there was a big scramble and i had to get mitch to re-record things and it just so i just want to say publicly i apologize to mitch for just like not listening to or not reading correctly what he had wrote and just assuming that my thoughts were correct uh so as such i know i'm not great with mixed radices and that's likely bill why i can't uh properly explain <laughs> it to you if mitch is listening i don't know if he listens to the show or not if he, if he is um drop it in the subreddit mitch answer bill's question question in the subreddit and that's probably the best way of sorting out bill here don't don't come through me on this topic i'm no good with it i, I think what i'm asking is just like a, a pretty specific uh version of a mixed radix that you count one thing on one side of a radix point and like just just for general counting not for a specific purpose like counting time or counting currency or something just kind of numbers in general um that you count say in base 10 on one side and in base five on on the other side of the radius point something like that so that Um, that then that then sounds a lot like what i thought mixed radices were at start where it's just like in one place you have one base and another place you have another base um, yeah, but I, I mean, I'm I'm very, saying very specifically that it's are on either side of a radix point, not like columns of a positional number system in, in general. Mm-hmm, okay, I'm gonna have to defer this one to Mitch. Okay, <laughs> sorry, that's okay. Uh, I I have one last. I thing. mean, if, if any if anything, it's simpler. So yeah, for sure. What I'm uh, saying. If if anything, uh, sorry, not even anything. Uh, you you said you have one last thing to go. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, go for it. There was... So you covered a lot of different ideas. Yes, a lot. And some of them had real-world examples, and some of them did not. Mm-hmm. So is it safe to assume that there aren't actual languages that use negative bases or non-integral bases? I, I think that is very safe to assume. I think one should yeah. uh, view this video as equal parts conlang help and number nerdery. <laughs> Cool. And also, like, I, I, I realize that, like, yeah, negative bases aren't uh, very human applicable, but there are people who create, like, art langs and philosophical langs and things like yeah, that. For and sure. the more esoteric bases might be a thing for those people to explore. So don't immediately write off the likes of, I don't know, base one over five or something crazy like that. You might be able to do a cool art piece with that. Yeah. Um. Okay. Can I can I go on to the main, 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 main thing I need to talk about before we wrap this up? <laughs> I suppose I'll allow you. Of course, man. Okay, course. so the by far, I'll be re- reiterating all of I'm about to say on uh, a Q&A, because uh, it's important. By far, the most feedback I got in this video was uh, the assertion that 
what we said in the video that zero to the power zero is undefined is incorrect. Mm -hmm. And as such, that entire bit about nullary is null and void because we were, Mitch and I were unaware that zero to the power zero is in fact equal to one. Yeah. And it is in fact not equal to one. Uh, we are okay, so not, th this this not... is a specific example of x to x to the zero is equal to one usually, but not when it's zero to zero. X to the zero. Yes, exactly. That is that is exactly okay. it. Uh, and if it's okay, okay with you, I'm because I did wonder about that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, now to be again to be fair to Mitch here, Mitch had an explanation written uh, in that section, and I again uh, took my editorial. Uh, uh, tendency is a bit too far maybe and cut it and was like I'm going to just go for the joke right because jokes are not that fun I think if you explain it and I think it's it was it was much more effective going it's undefined and then Mitch goes it's like zero to zero. Oh, sorry alarms I'm sorry uh, it's like zero okay. zero divided by zero explosion I think I wanted to get quickly into the explosion and not get bogged down in explaining why zero to the zero is undefined um so just for the sake of clarity, if it's okay with you, Bill, can I go through the reason why zero to the zero is undefined and it is not sure. equal to one? Sure. I would oh. actually enjoy that. Cool. Excellent. Okay. So uh, to explain, first of all, we all we all agree that zero divided by zero is undefined, correct? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I don't think anyone in the world argues with that point whatsoever. Now, the reason why it's undefined is because if we were to graph, and in fact you should do this. Sorry, go specifically zero divided by zero is undefined. Or uh, sorry, anything divided by zero is undefined. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, go to Wolfram Alpha for me, Bill, uh, and type in the search bar graph one divided by X. Okay. And everyone at home can follow along too here. <laughs> uh, and so when that graph pops up, the reason why one, in this case, one divided by X is undefined because as we come in from the po from positive x values and negative x values, the graph diverges in two different ways. So, so one divided by x coming in from positive x values, honing in on zero, tends towards positive infinity, and one divided by x coming in from negative x values towards zero tends towards negative infinity. You see that? Yes. Yeah. So therefore. 1 divided by x is undefined because the answer spits out two different, like doing the limit spits out two different answers. It's either positive infinity or negative infinity. And Max You mean 0 divided by x? Uh, 1 divided by x. Anything divided by x. As we go towards 0, if we were to actually hit 0, we'd get two answers, positive infinity and negative infinity. Yeah? As we go towards 0, mm -hmm. we get, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as we go uh, as we go towards zero, and then when we hit zero, we'd have two answers: positive infinity, negative infinity, as per that graph. Yeah. So I'm 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 getting I'm getting confused with the with the language here, but I'm I'm following what you're saying about the graph. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that means it's undefined because in maths we don't allow something to have multiple answers. Like one plus one is two. Always, it's not like two sometimes and three some other times. Like it ha there has to be a answer otherwise it's undefined correct sure sure okay now if we do the same thing right where we graph the function x to the x right and you could do this on wolfram alpha bill you should do it people at home should do it we find that as we come in from the positive x values if we take the limit of x to the x as x goes to zero 
coming in from the positive side towards zero, uh, the graph converges to one, right? We should see the graph intersect one, right? Uh, on the y-axis. If we come in from the negative values, all right, so we, t we tend towards zero uh, uh, with increasingly smaller negative x values, the graph also converges on one, right? Sorry, I'm getting real caught up in the language here. <laughs> okay, but do you see? Do you see that the graph crosses the y-axis at one? Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we came from the positive direction or negative direction. It crosses one. It is unlike the zero. It's unlike the one divided by x graph. It doesn't go off in different directions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that is the claim why most people say that zero to the zero is equal to one. Because no matter how we take a limit from whatever direction, we will the graph will always cross one. Ergo, zero to the zero is equal to one, right? And that holds, and that is correct, if and only if we only are discussing real numbers, right? The right. moment we move away from real numbers, like if we move into the complex plane, the same thing that happened with one divided by x, where the graph splits and goes off into all sorts of weird things, also occurs. So in a general, broad context, zero to the power of zero is undefined because it does not hold for all numbers. It holds for real numbers, but it does not hold for all numbers. And as such, mathematicians say uh, zero to the zero is undefined. You with me? I think so. <laughs> But that's that's that is the proof of the thing. I'll link two videos. Actually, no, I'll link one video from Numberphile that goes through it. Um, yeah, please but, do. I, I I trust you, and I kind of get it. But I'd I'd like to I'd like to properly internalize it. Sure. Um, and as uh, a specific a specific retort to people, a lot of people were like zero to zero is equal to one because, like you said, Bill, anything to the power of zero is equal to one. Uh, I think people yeah. in that instance are also forgetting that zero to the power of anything is zero. And why you would just pick one rule over the other is kind of a bit oh, weird to yeah. me. Exactly. Yeah. You can't just say, you can't just say, oh, well, this is the case and I'm going to ignore all evidence to the contrary. You have to be able to like rigorously prove why a thing is equal to one. So zero to the zero in summation is undefined if and only if you limit your uh, calculations to the real numbers. Um Sorry, zero to the power of zero is undefined if you limit your if your calculations encompass all numbers. If it's limited to real numbers, it is uh, it can be equal to one. And the thing that is really confusing about all this crack is that if you go to any calculator and you input zero to the zero, it will spit back one at you, right? Right. But it, and and, it, but, and but people don't kind of question that and don't uh, kind of say like what are the implicit assumptions that the calculator is making. So when the calculator spits back one for zero to the zero, it is implicitly saying that is with respect to real numbers. Yeah. Otherwise, it would spit back undefined. Um, and it's a similar thing with like, say, if you put in the square root of negative one into the calculator, that throws back an error. That's not like saying that imaginary numbers don't exist. That's saying with respect to real numbers, the square yeah. root of negative one is an error. But in complex it's saying, numbers, I am a calculator, all I can do is deal with real numbers. 
Bingo, exactly. And again, I think this is where some of the confusion lies. People will go to their calculator and say zero to the power zero and it gets spit out, spat out as one and go, oh, that must be it always. But it's it's so much more nuanced just because it's mm-hmm. this like weird edge case things where like different like worlds collide, like zero to the X and X to the zero. When these worlds collide, strangeness happens. Um, so again, just once again, zero to the zero is in fact undefined. There is going to be a video in the description for you to check it out. It is not, it, it, you cannot say it is just equal to one and leave it at that. A lot more caveats need to be put on that statement. Um, I asked Wolfram Alpha and Wolfram Alpha said it was undefined. Oh, does Wolfram Alpha say undefined? Yep. Ah, so Google, the Google calculator says one. My calculator on my phone says one. Things vary. I've heard of calculators even saying one or undefined. Oh, well, that's fair. And, and I mean, like that is probably the most correct answer. <laughs> because or can, minus one. What? Surely if you can say one, it can say minus one. Or zero just as much. Rather, not minus one, zero. No, no, no. It can, no, it applying can't say, the other rule. No, no, it can't say zero. Because remember, with my explanation back there, if you look at the graph of x to the x, as you yeah. approach zero, it's the, it, the, it, the graph intersects the y-axis at one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. So it, it has to be one or undefined or in the general sense it is undefined um so i'm sure there'll still be uh, people arguing with me about this because it's a thing that no matter how many times matt's tube points this out people are still like it's come on like it's equal to one and like i assure you it's absolutely not equal to one it's undefined unless you heavily caveat that statement anyways that is all i have to say on that <laughs> I'm sorry if that was fierce longwood. It's very hard to talk through maths without an example. No, that was class. Um, I'm, I don't know about that, but anyways, hopefully the video and the um, and Wolfram Alpha and all will will help make it clear for people. Um, mm-hmm. all right, green room. The only thing uh, I wanted to talk about in green room, not much has been happening in my life, so there's very little to discuss. Um, I, I I've been wanting to get back into reading again, Bill. Okay. Because I read a ton, like an absolute ton, but it's all artifacts you read, like it's all dry academic works. And I've been like really missing reading just for, you know, reading fiction just for pleasure. Um, and a patron recently pointed out that they were kind of sad that like uh, the unofficial book corner that was going for a while when I was listening to audiobooks um, kind of disappeared. And I thought about it, I was kind of like, yeah, actually, that that was a, that's a, actually is a bit sad that we, we we don't discuss books as much these days. So I was wondering, would you kind of like want to start a bit of a like artifactian book club? Uh, okay. Yeah. So the the, the idea I was uh, I thought was that we we kind of decide on maybe a book that uh, we could both read. No obligations. You don't have to if you don't want to, obviously. But uh, we decide on some sort of book that one of us or both of us are going to read and then people can read along at home if they want and then eventually uh we discuss said book on the podcast okay yeah um uh, to, to to start the ball rolling uh, i was wondering would you be interested in rereading um one of china mieville's novels perhaps for maybe next month because i have always wanted to get into it based on your recommendation uh, and i think this is a perfect opportunity to force mm-hmm. me to sit down and read fiction, and to read a work of fiction that I really want, and you already enjoy this author anyway, so I think it might be a good uh, first step. Or at least I did uh, six or seven years ago. I haven't read him in, in a, quite a while, so... Well, would would you then be interested in rereading it? 
Yeah, sure. Ah, oh, cool. Okay, so can you recommend uh, one of his books to me uh, for reading? Do to do it now? Um, I mean, ideally, because if someone else wants to read along, they should know what we're going to read. <laughs> oh, that's that's a good point. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a quick look over what is over his uh, bibliography. Um, I'm gonna get out my pen and paper here. Take some notes. Bit of ASMR for people while Bill's looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to suggest three and tell you roughly what I remember about like what each of them is broadly about and let you pick. So the, there's Podido Street Station, which is uh, in this kind of really sort of weird fantasy, um, mm-hmm. sort of dystopian steampunk fantasy kind of that's that's one mm-hmm. um the other one i'm going to suggest is the city and the city which is a kind of very very peculiar kafka-esque murder procedural <laughs> class and there's embassy town which is uh a science fiction about language oh now so uh, i was originally going to say that the one that stuck in my memory from years ago was perdido street station but embassy town sounds like it's hitting it would hit all the right points for the artifacts in podcast i mean like we're going to read a book about language like that's that's gonna people are going to be interested in that i think it, it does it takes all the thematic boxes doesn't it mm. shall we shall we set embassy town okay there we go. Let's let's set embassy down. Uh, so, reader, readers, readers, <laughs> if you uh, uh, go pick yourself up a copy of Embassy Town by China Mieville, I'll leave a link in the in the show notes uh, so you can check it out um, and read along if you want. And then, hopefully, next month, um, Bill and I will spend the green room uh, talking about it. Uh, do not hold me to that because there are some months where I'm so bogged down in the artifactian reading that I might get get a chance um, eventually. We will discuss these things. Yeah? <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, that's all I have. So uh, do you want to do you wanna, uh, call it a day before your phone dies and Skype cuts off? <laughs> let's, yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, to all the patrons, thank you for supporting the show. To all the listeners, thank you for listening to us. Um, there is there is no new merch as we already said but there is still the old merch available so go check out the store links in the description thank you all so much for listening uh, and patronising and until next time Edgar, Edgar out, out.